Will you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? We'll be reading the first two verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bibles open there, if you can listen also to two questions and answers from our Shorter Catechism. The Shorter Catechism is our commitment together to basic truths of the Christian faith. And last week, I preached a sermon. It was something along the lines of, why should you care about preaching? That's not exactly what I entitled it, but that was the effect. And the answer I gave you was, you should. (laughs) And tonight, I want to um, ask the question, how should you listen to a sermon? And that's really what is at the heart of question 89 and 90, especially question and answer 90. 89 asks, how is the Word made effectual to salvation? That is, how does the Word work so that we become saved through hearing it? And the answer is, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners, and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Question 90 asks, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? And the answer is, the word may become effectual to salvation, that the word may become effectual to salvation. We must attend to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer, and receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. And the phrase that I think 1 Peter 2 1 and 2 really speaks to is that phrase there where it says, we must attend to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. So that's a summary of the Word, but the power of the Word, of course, is in the Scripture itself. This is God's infallible, inerrant Word, where in the first three verses, I said in the bulletin verses 1 and 2, it's actually the first three verses, so just listen to the third The Scriptures say, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Those are the words of God tonight. May He bless it as I explain it to you. As I said just a moment ago, this is the second sermon where we're thinking together about the preaching of the Word. Obviously, we're here not only talking about it, but experiencing it. And our confessions put a special emphasis not only on the doing of it, but also how you are to hear it. Because God is taking His Word and applying it to you in a way that's unique and unlike any other time during your week. And since it is that important... It is critical for us to answer one of the questions that I have posed when we're thinking about preaching, and that is, how do we listen to a sermon? How do we listen to it? What's necessary in order for us to hear a sermon and take it in? And that's why we're turning to 1 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2. I should say 1, 2, and 3. And I want you to take tonight's sermon as the way that Peter would command you to listen to a sermon. And I just want to alert you to the fact that this is not some dry discourse about how you're supposed to do this. This sermon and Peter's words are meant to engage you in something that is critical for our understanding as we walk before the Lord. So how do we listen to a sermon? The first question I want to ask with you tonight is, is this passage really about listening to a sermon? That's a really good question, isn't it? Because you'll notice in these first three verses, he doesn't say, Here's how you listen to a sermon. He says, long for the pure spiritual milk. 
So are we right to answer the question, how do we listen to a sermon by reading these verses? In order to answer that, I want you to look at the last few verses of the previous chapter, chapter 1. There Peter quotes an Old Testament prophet when he says, all flesh is like grass and all his glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So he's quoting a passage from the Old Testament that says, the word of God endures forever, it never changes. The implication is you should listen to it now just like they listened to it then. You should pay attention. And then he says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So it's not only the word itself that is enduring. Peter builds an argument on that enduring word. He says that was the word that was preached to you because it's enduring. Then he goes right into chapter 2 and he says, so, now reading that in context, it seems very apparent to me that the first three verses of the second chapter are about the word of God in general, but specifically about the thing that we're doing here tonight listening to the preaching of that word that never fades away. In fact, I don't think we can really understand these first three verses if we don't put them against the backdrop of the end of the previous chapter. Just remember, our chapter divisions likely were not the way that Peter intended for us to read this letter. They're placed there for our ability to locate what we're talking about But it's very likely that chapter 2 follows in the same vein or thought as chapter 1. So in the following verses, Peter is telling us to hunger for something. He says, long for it. The idea is you cannot get enough of it. And that something is the word of God. But I think it is faithful to this passage to say it's not just the word of God. You ought to hunger for that. It should be more precious to you than gold. It should be more sweet to you than honey. That's what the psalmist says, but Peter's saying not only the Word of God, but the preaching of the Word of God you ought to hunger for. So I think it is fair to say in answering that first question, how do you listen to a sermon? Well, we listen to a sermon by expecting that it's something that is precious to us. It's important. We ought to listen. But then the second thing you ought to hear is what are we commanded to do as we listen to a sermon? There is a strong positive command in these verses, and then there are a number of negatives. And I want to show you both the positive as well as the negatives that Peter says in these verses. The positive command comes there where he says in the second verse, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. I've already sort of translated that for you by saying hunger. But the longing there is a sense that you have wanted something for a very long time. You continue to want it. You love it. You can't get enough of it. You want more and more. In fact, Peter uses the example of an infant child. When a child is born and that child begins to nurse from his or her mother, the child longs to be fed. Some of you who are mothers right now know that children, they are demanding. They want it and they want it and they want it and they want it now. And it's not as though these children need to be trained, most of them, to long for it. They are hungry and they want to be fed. 
this is the central command of this passage. This is the thing that Peter wants us to know more than anything, that we are told to hunger for the word. In fact, the idea is we hunger for it in such a way it becomes a routine part of what is tremendously insignificant to us. It's not an occasional hunger like every once in a while I think maybe I would like to have cheeseburger pizza. No, this is something that we want all the time. It is continual hunger. It's more like I want to have something over and over. And the milk in this passage, the food that we are to long for as spiritual infants, Peter says, is spiritual milk. This is spiritual milk. Now, you may know, if you've read places in the New Testament, that sometimes Paul criticizes his readers for only drinking milk and not moving on to the more difficult or substantive parts of God's Word. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul says the Corinthians should have advanced to the point that they're eating, you might say, the meat and potatoes of the Word of God, but they're still back at the milk stage. And he says, that's not right. You should want solid food. And still you're, instead, you're still babies. That's not good. You need to grow up. But in this place, I don't think Peter means spiritual milk in that way. He doesn't mean it in a negative sense. Any more than if you have a child and the child's hungry and wants milk, that's a negative thing. That's not a negative thing at all. We say that's a healthy thing. It's a normal thing. It is a good thing. And although Christians, in addition to basic things, want more advanced teachings of God's Word, you never lose your passion for those things that are simple, the basic things, they are the most important things, and they need to be appreciated still. The stress is here, long for, long for this spiritual food like a baby hungers for the spiritual milk, he says, which is given to them. So Paul's point is that we should long for we should long for the spiritual food. And if this is in fact the word of God as it comes to us in preaching, Paul adds three things to our understanding of what good preaching is. He describes this spiritual milk in three ways. First, he says it is the pure milk of the word. This is the opposite of what I'll describe in a little bit. If you look back to verse 1, Paul says, put behind you deceit, for example. I'll explain to you why he puts that there in a moment. But this is meant to be the opposite. This is not deceitful. This is pure. There's nothing sort of mixed in it. It's not milk that also has something that's spoiled in it. It's only good. It's only nourishing. It is intentional. It can be trusted and that is the key thing that Paul is saying, that pure spiritual milk that you should long for is trustworthy. You can see it's good. You don't have to come here and sort of hold yourself at arm's length and think, can I really trust this or not? It should be clearly apparent to you that what you're listening to, what you're taking in as preaching is reliable. It's pure. Additionally, uh, Peter says it's also spiritual. Now, this is a notoriously difficult word to translate. And even though you might not see this as apparently as I would want you to when you read this word, literally this says, 
the pure from the word milk. This spiritual milk comes from the word so that the connection between preaching and the word is very, very close. It is rooted in the word of God. You cannot have preaching that is pure apart from the word of God. In other words, when you listen to preaching, you should be able to say, I can see where that comes from. It's the Berean test. Can I see where it comes from in the Word? Is it simply somebody giving me good advice or maybe some thoughts he had? Is he trying to sort of carry me along so I'm impressed with what he's saying? Or is he trying to show me, he's working to show me both what the Word says and impress it upon my heart? Does he come to me with a vigor that this actually matters, that this is truth? And the third thing that Paul says about good preaching, beyond that it's pure and spiritual, is that causes you to grow, to grow, growing up into salvation. This is a way of Peter saying they were to drink to grow. As I'm listening to, my, to me talk, I fear that occasionally I've said Paul instead of Peter. Every time I say Paul, I mean Peter. <laughs> oh, my word. Peter says it causes us to grow up into salvation. That is, it has an effect on us. We want to grow. There's an end in mind. This preaching is simple, and it is pure, but it causes us to grow. I think it is safe to say that there's this one clear sign that Peter is pointing to. If we ask the question, What is good preaching? What is this pure spiritual milk that causes us to grow up? How can we know that it is true spiritual and causing us to grow up into salvation? The answer Peter would give us is that it corresponds to the Word of God. It is true and trustworthy and therefore causes us to grow. That's the positive thing. That's the thing we're to long for like a baby. We're to long for that word as it is preached. But then the other side of that coin comes in verse 1 with the negatives. I said there's a positive here, but there are also negatives. In the first verse, Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He piles up these words. And there's a reason he piles them up. The first part of that verse says, So put away... This is not technically a command, but it carries that force. It's meant to be connected to the longing for. The longing for is the positive. The putting aside or putting off is the negative. You put off these things. You put on these things. You turn away from these, and you long for these others. And the things that we are to put away are a whole series of things that I think I can summarize for you is those things that would destroy the ability of the hearer to fully take in the Word of God as it is preached. And as you listen to these things, I think it makes sense, and you try it out to see if it is true, that each one of these things that Peter mentions are all things that not only make it difficult for us personally to to listen to the Word of God as it is preached, There seems to be an intentional focus by Peter in showing that each one of these destroy the community within which the Word of God is preached. 
Peter is drawing a connection between the individual, as you listen to the Word of God preached, and then how significant that is to do that within a community of believers where you can actually hear without encumbrance. Now, you may think, why in the world does he do that? That doesn't make sense. If we can back up to last week, I'd simply point out to you that preaching cannot happen simply one person to the next person. It's not meant to be the same thing as you listening to preaching on the radio. It's not meant to be the same thing as you going to YouTube and watching a good sermon that was preached by Tim Keller at some point. The brilliance of preaching is that, is that it is the application of God's Word to concrete people who are known in a community of believers. As I said last week, good preaching, you could not simply lift up a sermon and transport it to another context, and it simply fit in there without any difficulty. A good sermon should not only be faithful to the Word of God, but it should apply itself to the listeners in a concrete location that makes the stickiness of that sermon really adhere in a way that if it was preached in a different place would miss a bit. Because preaching is not only about the infallible word, it is, it is meant to be given to eminent people. Now with that in mind, let me explain these words for you, these things that must be laid aside in order for us to really hear the word of God, to long for that word. And what I want you to think about is the same logic that Peter is using. Whether if these things are present in us and in our community, if they make the listening and the preaching of God's word difficult. Let's start with that first word, malice. This is sort of the word that hangs above all others. It's a basic word for evil. It means evil intention. It's having an inner motivation that leads to the things that follow in this list. Instead of having good, honest, and open intentions, Instead, what motivates us is a desire to do evil, to do harm. How in the world would you listen to preaching with an open heart when you feel like you need to guard yourself from those people around you? Think about that for a moment. I've been in places and times in a church where you're careful who you sit around, who you talk to when you come in, and who you talk to when you leave. And you might think the only harm that is done is that I'm not having good relationships with other Christians. It's probably true. But have you considered the fact that the damage that happens in the relationship between Christians actually makes the listening to the preaching of God's Word also difficult? To put it this way, to have a closed heart to other people will mean it's very difficult to have an open heart to the Lord. Why do I say that? It's true in your homes. If mom and dad are fighting back and forth and they have closed hearts to each other, guess who picks up on that first? Your children. Where there is strain in that home, it affects everything else that happens. And that's Peter's logic. If there is evil in the church, it will be difficult for you to hear the pure spiritual milk of the word in preaching that leads to growth. And then Peter applies that. He says that's true in deceit. Deceit is talking or acting with ulterior motives. 
You act as though one thing is true, but in fact something else is going on. You're not being honest. What Peter does not mean is that the way we treat each other is always in the way that we want to be treated. There are times where we must say difficult things to each other. We must challenge each other. That's part of a healthy church. We ought to be open to that challenge. It's often the way that we grow. But that's not the same thing as being deceitful. Healthy conversation, encouragement, and challenging comes from a good heart with a desire to be open. A deceitful conversation is one in which you're trying to maneuver and manipulate to get to an end. Very, very different. Paul says no hypocrisy in the body. That's an inconsistency between what you say and what you do. It's knowing what is right and failing to do it because of the evil intention that Peter says is wrong. It would be like me saying to you, have a wonderful week when you leave here tonight. And then when your back is turned saying, oh yeah, by the way, aren't those people weird? If you heard that from me, you heard what I said. The next time you came here to listen to a sermon that I preached, would that be difficult for you? Or you might say, well, pastor, if you said it, it'd be different because you're preaching. What if you heard someone else say that? Some lady said to you, hey, have a wonderful week. Lord be with you. And then she turns her back and says to her friend, boy, those people don't fit, do they? They're strange. You see how that hypocrisy destroys a community within preaching that preaching is supposed to take root in. It destroys our ability to hear well. It's almost like there's a barrier that's put up. Envy is desiring what another has wrongfully. The gospel says it was one of the the reasons that Jesus' opponents put him to death because they envied him. When there is envy in the body of Christ, we cannot treat each other in the way that Christ would want us. Slander is practiced to another's face, saying one thing to them and then tearing them down into different contexts. You can see how they're all really facets of the same evil diamond. There's evil intention that makes its way into all sorts of ways that we say uh, in the way that we talk and the way we act around each other. And it's not difficult to see how this affects the body as a whole. All of these give us pause to be open in our life within the church. And when you read through the New Testament, it doesn't take you long to realize that in order for us to grow as disciples after Christ, we need the Word of God. We need the infallible Word. You need it as you read it, as you hear it, as you understand it preached. But you need that infallible Word within a community of believers to help you grow and encourage and challenge you in order for you to grow as a disciple. So it's not difficult to see why Peter is saying this. He's saying the word of God that never passes away, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. This word was preached to you. Now, as a community of believers, don't be evil, don't be envious, don't be slanderous, don't be hypocrites, don't be deceitful, don't envy each other, because if you do, this word that you should hear, you will long to hear, you'll want to hear it. But when you come to church, it'll be difficult to receive it. Because the place in which you're meant to be challenged and encouraged to walk after the Lord, there's a hiccup. And the hiccup keeps you from hearing things as you should. 
Let me say it again. It's difficult to listen to the Bible preach if things are not right around us. I'm not saying that they're ever perfectly right. But if they're fundamentally wrong, some of us have been in contexts where that's true. We have claimed to have the best preaching. Just listen to our preaching. It's the best. But then we look at how the body functions and all the truth and the love and the grace that we say is proclaimed in the word is given with the right hand, but experience tells us to take it away with the left. You know what our God is doing in these first three verses of 1 Peter chapter 2? He's naming that for you. He's helping you see the connection between the preaching of the word and its ability to be effective in your life. The word of God can work even in a sinful context All of us have been saved when that is true. But in order for us to grow up, as Peter is telling us in this book, you are strangers and aliens in the world. Grow up and follow after Christ in order for that word, in order for that word, in order for that word to be received in a way that transforms and changes us as a community of believers, we must lay aside those things that make the hearing difficult which leads me to the last question i want to ask you tonight and that is why should you care if you're called to long for the pure spiritual milk that leads to maturity and you've been given this list of things that need to be laid aside in order for you to long as you should and for you to be nourished as you desire why should you care and that comes in verse three Verse 3 says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, in our translation, it might sound as though that is a conditional statement. It's not intended that way. It could be better understood this way, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. If that is true, you will desire the pure milk of the word as it is preached to you, and you will willingly strive to lay aside evil and everything that follows from it. Peter's argument is a simple one. If you have tasted the grace of Jesus Christ, you cannot help but long for more and more and more and more. If you have tasted the goodness of Jesus Christ, You will long for that. That will capture your heart and you will willingly want to turn away from those things that are difficult. If you wonder if I'm stressing too much Jesus because of the identity of this person with Lord, I would simply note for you if you go back to chapter 1 verse 3, Peter identifies who he means by Lord when he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't pass by that title quickly. When he says Lord, he means the one who has the right to govern his church. This is your Lord speaking to you tonight. Not me, of course, personally, but the Lord who has given his life for the body of Christ. The Lord who loves you. The Lord who has a grace unlike any other grace. And this Lord speaks to you tonight and says, you ought to listen to a sermon well. Or to use the language, the summary that's found in our catechism, you should prepare your heart so you can be attentive to the Word of God. How do you do that? 
Peter says by laying aside, setting aside those evil motives that destroy our ability as a community to hear by longing for the pure spiritual milk of the word that leads to growth and doing so because you have tasted, to use language from another place in the scripture, you have tasted and seen that the Lord Jesus is good. It may sound kind of funny to you, it's funny to me, that I've been preaching now 24 years. This is my 24th year of ministry, and I'm sure that I've preached on various passages like this in the past, but the last couple weeks as I've prepared these sermons, it has been incredible to me to mull over the place of the public proclamation of God's Word in worship for the benefit of God's people. It's been humbling, actually even a little scary. (laughs) Week to week, I go into my office, I prepare sermons. Sometimes I feel like I have enough time. A lot of times I feel like, well, I did the best I could, Lord. But the reason that it's intimidating to me is because I'm impressed in the scriptures of the utter importance of it, matched with the incredible love that our Savior has for us. And my desire What I found myself praying for over and over and over as I've been thinking about the role of preaching is that the love that our Savior has for you would be clearly communicated in the words and the tone that I use when I preach to you. Anything less than that, it's not what Jesus would desire. He wants truth, but he wants that truth spoken with goodness instead of evil. And so our prayer is a simple one tonight. Our prayer is a very simple one, and that is that you would long for what God gives you in the Word, especially in the preaching of the Word, and that anything that would keep you from that in our body would be removed, and that you would have that hunger you've witnessed in babies who at 2 a.m. are screaming at the top of their lungs, give me what I want, mother, I'm hungry. Next Sunday morning when you wake up, I hope you wake up, perhaps not screaming, but with that same intense desire, because that's what the Spirit of Christ has for you. Let's bow in prayer.